0: What a wonderful day. Can you believe that August is ending? I see the depression in your faces. I mean, it's just obvious. Summer is about over. My favorite season is about to begin. I love the fall, and I'm grateful. (laughs) I am not among friends here today. I can tell that. Do any of you have a favorite reality show? You don't have to say what it is. This is a very unresponsive group today. This is going to be a tough message, I can tell. This is going to be a hard day. There is a show that, that I uh, was introduced to called Alone. I don't know if any of you have ever, ever heard of it. Now hands are coming up. You just wanted to know where I was going with that first. I can see now. So there's this show called Alone where they take 10 highly competent highly confident individuals that are trained in survival and they drop them miles apart from each other in different places of the world and the object is who can survive the longest by themselves Uh, building shelters finding food and whoever makes it the most number of days and some of the shows they go a hundred days some of them 70 80 uh, they win a boatload of money one of the things that fascinates me about that particular show is that these people, when they are interviewed, before they are dropped off, are are very confident in their abilities that they're going to win. But there's something about being isolated. And when everything relies on you, that they are given a camera and they have a conversation with you, but it's really with themselves every day. And what I have discovered is the longer this goes, the less confidence they have and the more their insecurities begin to show up in their conversation. And by the time that they are about ready to tap out, all of them but one tap out every year, they have come from this place of being highly confident to cannot believe that I'm not going to be able to do this and the insecurities that they have become to come through. And they are usually very emotional moments right before they call to have somebody come get them. And it has recalibrated all of the things that are really important in their life. Today I'd like to talk about confronting insecurities and the reason I want to share it with you this this morning is because last Sunday we started a discussion about this is my story, the testimony that each of us have as a result of the life that we had lived before Christ and I asked each of you to write down some things about your life so that you could begin to give your testimony what it was like for you when you came in contact with the grace of God and what your salvation experience was like, and then what your faith journey has been like since then. And and I have to tell you that since that message last Sunday, I've had several people contact me this week. One individual says, I really feel as if God has been sparking me to write a book uh, to kind of chronicle everything that God was doing in my life. Some began to recognize that their faith journey has a lot of chapters. In fact, I loved standing out in the foyer listening to people because we had a couple of people that gave uh, testimonies about how God had healed them. And they're back there going, if you think those testimonies were good, you should hear what God did for me. And it was almost like a comparison of, yeah, your testimony is nothing compared to what God did. We are a competitive bunch. It, it was amazing to me how that was going on. I've had other people say that as I evaluate my life in light of everything else, it seems as if I don't have much of a story. There were others who got very emotional in their responses as they begin to think about how God has been with them and what he has done. But I also have received a number of responses from people saying to me, that was a great message, but I could never do that. I would, I would never be able to articulate my story because I don't think that I'm that important to God. I don't think that what I have to say will be good for anybody. And it began to dawn on me that there are insecurities in every one of us. Things that we struggle with. Things that we battle with that we think disqualify us from being able to be used... Of the Lord. And this morning I want to share with you one verse and then I want to talk about some of these insecurities and I believe the way the Lord wants us to deal with them, and that is in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. The scripture simply says this Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Heavenly Father, over these next few moments, as we just begin to quickly highlight ways in which we sabotage ourselves or ways in which the enemy uses insecurities to keep us on the sideline, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will indwell your people and empower your people and come against the one who says that we are worthless. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The word heart in Scripture is a reference to the center of an object. In fact, the Hebrew word for heart means the kernel of the nut. It has to do with your feelings. It has to do with your will. It even has to do with your intellect. It is the object of the decision-making aspect for each of us as individuals. And so God is always wanting to do a work in the heart. He always wants to begin in the heart and then work outward. So when we come to know Jesus, he does a heart work that then is lived out from there in the way that we act, speak, and behave. So the Scripture says to us that there is a personal responsibility that each of us has to be a guard of that which is our decision-making aspect, the, the center of it all. He said, I'm going to give you an assignment, but I need you to know that you are not incapable of doing it. God's never going to ask you to do something that He will not make you capable of doing. So when He says to you, guard your heart, we need to know that there is the help of God in order to do this. And it removes all the excuses. He says, guard your heart because it's not optional. He's not speaking with with no conviction. He is saying this is an absolute must for us as believers. A direct command to give it everything we've got. And then there are terms that are used there. He says above all else, or depending on the version of the Bible that you may be reading, it may say with all diligence, the heart should receive your greatest effort in protecting it. Because... My heart is the object of God's greatest interest. In fact, he tells us in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart. How many of you have experienced that when coming to know Jesus, that he changed everything for you? He said, I will give you a new heart and I'm going to put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So, There is this aspect that as we protect ourselves and as we guard our heart that God wants to do something from there that will glorify Him. But the aspect of always guarding indicates to us that all of the attacks are going to come from the outside. I have come to understand that some of the greatest sabotage efforts take place on the inside. Sometimes we don't guard our hearts from our own insecurities. Sometimes we don't guard our hearts from the way that we think about ourselves. And there are attacks to our heart that create thoughts within us that allow insecurities and misbeliefs to grow as to how God views us. And I want to share some of those with you very quickly this morning. Some of the inside jobs that the enemy uses to attack us are with the thoughts that you are unlovable, That you are unforgivable, that you are unchangeable, that you are unblessable, and that you are unusable. Some of these have begun to percolate to the surface since last week when we began to talk about how we could share our story. And I want to address each of these very briefly. Because when the enemy of our soul attacks us, we need to have the word of God that we can come back with. So the first insecurity that most people deal with is that I am unlovable. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're dealing with this insecurity that somehow God can love everybody else, but you fall within a category where you are not qualified for His love, the Scripture itself comes against that insecurity. A number of years ago, I told a story that had fascinated me by psychiatrist Larry Crabb, and he said there was a 24-year-old boy that had grown up in a Christian home. He had strayed from God, strayed from his family. He had gone to live in a house where drugs and sex were a daily part of the life of those that had lived there. One night, the father gets a call at 2 in the morning from the police, and they said, Your son has been arrested, and we are asking you to immediately come to the station. The father jumped up, got dressed, quickly drove to the police station. And as he went in and told them, I just received a call that my son was here, he found out that somebody had called him with a prank call. As he got back into the car, began to think about everything that was going on, he decided that he would drive by the house where his son was living. And as he got there, the door was partially open he walked in and he found young people laying all over, high on drugs, many of them just partially clothed. And as he's looking through the darkness, he sees a couch and a young man laying on it. He says, And I recognized it was my son. And he walked over to that couch, and as he stood there over his son, he didn't know what to do or what to say. So all he did was just lean over him and kiss him on the head. And then he walked out of the house. He said, I sat in the car after kissing my son, weeping at everything that was happening there. Eight months later, he received a call from his son and said, Hey, Dad, is there any chance that you and I can go have lunch together? He said, I am thrilled to hear those words. You tell me the place, and I'll buy us lunch. As they met there, the son added, Dad, I need to tell you something. I've come back to the Lord. I've decided to turn my back on the ways that had drawn me away, and I just want you to know that right now my relationship with the Lord is growing and stronger than it's ever been before, and you want to know why? He said, Dad, because that night that you came walking into the house, I wasn't asleep. He said, I was laying there and recognized you. I turned my back on you when you came into the house He said, I was waiting for you to say something mean to me, but all you did was lean over and kiss me. And I thought, if you can love me when I am so unlovable, there must be something of the love of Jesus in you. Some of you have tried to earn the love of God. Some of you have worked so hard to try to find where you could be worthy of God's love. And I need you to know, God loves you regardless You are not unlovable. He has pursued you as we sang in the song today. He is pursuing you with his grace. And whenever the enemy whispers in your ear and begins to feed into the insecurity that you are unlovable, you stand on the word that my God is a pursuing God. You see, grace makes the word deserve a terrible word because deserve will wear you out. But at a heart level, Jesus wants you to know that you are not unlovable. The second insecurity that so many deal with is the idea that I am unforgivable. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Let me, let me just repeat that. He forgave us all. All of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, last week I invited you to take a paper and begin to write down some of the aspects of your testimony. One of them being what it was like when you came in contact with the grace of God that saved you. That, that salvation experience. I need to let you know that there was a legal transaction, transaction that took place when you gave your heart to the Lord. Because there was a debt that you could not pay that you owed. It was the debt of your sin. In fact, in olden times, when a debt was forgiven, it would be written on a piece of paper what that debt was, and the one to whom it was owed would come to the one who owed it and would nail it, put a nail right through it on the doorpost of their house so that everybody would know that debt is paid. So when we look at the legal transaction of what happened with our sin when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the Scripture tells us that He became sin who knew no sin. In other words, everything that you and I have ever done that would disqualify us from the grace of God, he took on himself and he was nailed to the doorpost of a cross, having canceled the code against you and me. And all we have to do is receive that. In light of that truth, When your feelings begin to tell you that you are unlovable, you have to make a decision as to who and what you will believe. Will you believe what the Word of God says about you? Or will you sabotage yourself with your feelings? You are loved. The third insecurity is the idea that somehow I am unchangeable. I have discovered that this insecurity or this misconception is often associated with people who are coming from a background of addiction or a background of abuse and seemingly have their whole life felled again and again and seem to constantly fall into the same setbacks to the point where they quit trying or they simply say, this is just the way I am. I have been told, Pastor, it doesn't matter what I do, I will never be able to change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 wants to address this. The scripture says, therefore, if any one of you is in Christ. let Let me repeat that. If any one is in Christ, he or she is a new Creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Dr. Jimmy Davis says this Nature forms us, sin deforms us, schools inform us, prisons reform us, but only Christ transforms us. You see, in Christ, we become a new person. A Christian is not just somebody who is nicer after they've come to know the Lord. You don't just get a different personality. You don't just turn over a new leaf. He or she receives a new life. You're made brand new. Now, I read this illustration and I thought it was pretty cool. A Christian is not like a tadpole that has become a frog. The animal that goes through a series of changes, but the DNA stays the same. No, a Christian is more like a frog that has received a kiss of grace from God and has been turned into a prince and a princess because of it. You are brand new because of what God has done. The old is gone. The old is gone. You are not unchangeable. Because the cross is potential energy until you apply it in your life and you begin to walk in it. To think that you are unchangeable is a lie that would make the cross of no effect. So if you today are battling with the insecurity that I simply am unchangeable, you need to remind yourself that you've been set free from the captor because of the cross. Then there are those that are battling the insecurity of I am unblessable. For whatever reason, God blesses other people. He blesses other families. But I simply, for whatever reason, do not qualify, it seems, to be blessed of God. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Let me just tell you that this is what Jesus said at the initiation of his public ministry. And what he says to each of you is, I want you to understand that because of my ministry, every one of you may be blessed. Because here it is I've come to proclaim the good news to the poor. You may have been poor in spirit, but I've got good news for you. You're blessed because of what I have done. For those of you that are captives, I've come to set you at liberty. That's the blessing that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. For those of you that were blind, spiritually or physically, I have come to give you sight. It's the blessing that comes with my ministry. And then for those of you who are oppressed, I have come to set you free. Each and every one of us lives in the blessing of the Lord. And so for you to say, I am unblessable, would be sabotaging your own heart at what God wants to do. Ephesians 1.3 says, praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And did you know? That in all of Scripture, the only thing that God will allow to overtake you is His blessing. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, it says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all of His commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth All these blessings will come upon you. And then there's this word that says, "accompany." That word may also be accurately translated, Will overtake you. In other words, my blessings overtake those who are walking in obedience to me. If you obey the Lord your God. So if you're living in the middle of a storm right now, If things in your life do not seem as if you're living in the happiness of the blessing, you need to sit back and stand on the Word of God and say, my relationship with God itself is a blessing that He has brought to me, but He will allow His blessings to overtake me as I stay in obedience to Him. And then the last insecurity that we often deal with is that somehow I am unusable. Some of you told me that you hesitate to share your story because you have convinced yourself by sabotaging your own heart to the idea that God can use everybody else, but he can't use you. That there's something about your nature, something about your story that may not be the same as everybody else's, and so you just sit back and say, because of who I am and the way I am, I am unusable. There's a passage of scripture that's found in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, that involves Moses that speaks to this. It says, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face. Because he was afraid to look at God. I have come to discover that God shows up when we are engaged in ordinary life. It happened to Moses because this day seemingly was like any other day. In fact, he had spent 14,000 days living in the desert just like this day. And he had settled down and probably had come to terms that the idea that God would ever use him to be a deliverer of his people had long passed and that he had lived in his own mind with the insecurity that I am unusable. He'd been doing the same thing for 40 years and he probably thought this is the way it will always be. I believe that there are some of you that are living in your lives and you get into the rut of things and you just kind of like the idea, hey, at least I know what's coming. And it might be that in the middle of your everyday life, God begins to tap you on the shoulder and say, just because it's always been this way does not mean it always will be because I'm about to use you. And so God speaks to Moses, and in the middle of this, Moses feels insignificant, he feels incompetent, and he feels inadequate. And he begins to build all of these excuses as to why I can't be the person that you were looking for. And after God indicated to Moses that none of his feelings about himself could stop God from using him, he resorted to one last excuse. It's the excuse of being inferior. And Moses said, God... If you lined up 100 people today, I would be the last pick to be used by you. Please, please pick somebody else. Because I, in my own heart, feel unusable. John Maxwell says this, It is easier to go from failure to success than it is to go from excuses to success. Because excuses are the exit ramp off of the highway of obedience. And what Jesus is saying is that when our insecurities rise, we have to choose obedience every time rather than falling into the insecurities of our own life. But that is the way that you think when you believe deep down inside that you are unusable. You give up on yourself because you think God has given up on you. And in the common, ordinary circumstances of our lives, God is prepared to occasionally step in and do something altogether extraordinary. He speaks to His people and He says that in our world today, the burning bush may look like this some disruption of your natural routine. Maybe it's an unwelcome change in the circumstances. Sometimes God gets our attention by causing a change to our daily lives that we don't like. Sometimes there may be things that we call coincidences, but they are not chance events. They are God at work. But it's God's way of tapping you on the shoulder and indicating to you that the way that you have felt about yourself is less than what he sees in you. And that he wants to use you. Perhaps he's been trying to get your attention Perhaps you have been telling him, Leave me alone. Don't you know that I am unusable? Don't you know that I have these insecurities? Don't you know anything about me? Choose anybody else but me, and he will not give up on you because of what he wants to do. Worship team, if you'd please prepare yourself to come. There's an interesting way that this passage ends that I find fascinating. The dialogue that takes place between Moses and God at the burning bush ends this way. God addresses Moses' insecurities of himself and his past, and then he says this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And it says, and Moses' response to that was he hid his face. He looked away, he looked down, for he was afraid to look upon God. I believe that the reason that he looked down was an indication of all of the insecurities in his life as they were being challenged by God himself saying, you are not who you think you are. You are more than you think you are. And Moses, as he put his head down, probably had to begin to deal with some old memories that perhaps he had not dealt with in years. The experience probably tore open old wounds or forgotten pains of his past, the fears that had gripped his heart. And in that moment, he recognized the deep flaws because he had not guarded his heart against the inside jobs of the insecurities that was going to keep him from what God wanted to accomplish through him. At the end of it all, isn't it great that you and I qualify for service, failures and all, just as we are? Your story, touched and led by the power of God, will change somebody's mind about God. And to sit back and say, you know, I'm battling a lot of things, and so there are others that God wants to use, is a lie from the enemy. Sometimes God calls us to guard our hearts from our own insecurities and to confront them with the help of God. Sometimes we have to preach to ourselves. And we have to reinforce our life with God's promises and not our own feelings. How many of you know feelings will betray you, but God's word will never betray you. So today he wants to encourage you, whatever insecurities you may be dealing with, his overcoming power over your insecurities will become part of your story that will lead others to him.